Welcome to the debut of the Down the Drive podcast. My name is Mike Schneid, the site manager at downthedrive.com, covering all things Cincinnati Bearcat sports as part of SB Nation's college sports websites. I'm an extremely passionate Cincinnati alum, so I am really appreciative and excited about the opportunity to work for SB Nation and to work for Down the Drive and cover a team that I love and that I follow very closely. I have a lot of big ideas for Down the Drive moving forward. Phil Neifer, Clayton Truder have both been writing on the site for quite some time. They've been killing it with their content and with, with their various articles. I'm looking forward to working with them. I'm looking forward to building on the momentum that they have created. Uh, I've already published my first handful of articles, and I'm really excited for the future to continue to churn out big articles, these podcasts, and cover football, basketball, and everything Cincinnati-related. And what a great time it is to cover Cincinnati. The baseball team made the NCAA tournament. The women's, team, the women's basketball team made the women's NIT Elite Eight. Men's basketball team is going through a transition, but they've been on fire for the past decade. And the football team, of course, is coming off of an extremely successful 28th season with high expectations for this year, and that's mostly what I want to focus on in this episode, since, especially since it's officially game week. Finally, I'll keep the focus on football um, as the Bearcats follow up on last year's 11-win season, and they open up against UCLA this Thursday. And later on in this episode, JT Smith of the Front Office News will join me to talk about the season and a couple of different topics about the Bearcats. So, Make sure you stick around for that. That'll be a fun little interview. Finally time to play football. And Thursday night will be the first time in 241 days that the Bearcats play a game. And it feels great. The last time they played a game was New Year's Eve. It was the military bowl. Again, that they won against Virginia Tech. The first bowl win since 2012. Honestly, it brought life back to the football program. I feel like... He who shall never again be named um, sort of really destroyed the program and really deflated the the team, the fans, and I think 2017 was a good rebuilding year for Luke Fickle. It took him a year to kind of undo the stench, undo and rebuild the culture a little bit and get back to winning ways. And 11-2, a bowl victory last season, uh, it was a huge, huge success in my opinion, and The team's certainly going to look to build on that. Uh, Almost everyone returns, and yet this team gets... Almost everyone returns, and they had the third youngest roster in FBS last year. Yet this team gets no respect. They were 34th in the AP poll released last week. I think they're 35th in coaches. Um, SB Nation's fan pulse poll didn't even include the Bearcats on any of the 66 ballots. So, you know, most writers, media folks, they continue to ignore last season's accomplishments, and refused to respect the Bearcats. And so I mentioned J.T. Smith will join me later. I did want to have a UCLA writer or reporter on this episode as well. I thought it would be good to kind of get their point of view on the Bearcats and connect a little bit to understand more about their team ahead of Thursday. I was unable to connect with any. Apparently, they're all too busy talking smack on the Bruin Report online message boards. Um, for a team that went three and nine last year, they talk a lot of smack. They actually, I mean, they haven't had a winning season since 2015. 
Haven't won a bowl game since 2014, and 2012 is the last time that they won the Pac-12 South. Yet despite that, and despite losing at home by nine points to a team coming off of back-to-back four-win seasons, these are the types of things that UCLA fans are saying, and I'm going to read them verbatim. These are message board topics right now. No offense to Cincinnati whatsoever. Yeah, I'm sure that post is not offensive at all. Last year's Cincy vs. UCLA box score encourages me. Well, then, I'm not quite sure that UCLA fans know what the word encourage means. Am I the only one who thinks we're going to spank Cincy? With this one, it's worth noting that they spelt it with an I instead of a Y, so it's C-I-N-I. So that makes this even more offensive, this post. Some of the additional quotes that they're talking about, I think our athleticism and skill players win this game handedly. Ruins by 10. 49-21, boys in blue, let's do it. We are going to spank these dudes. Why? What is with the spanking with UCLA? It's the second time I've mentioned that. and It's different people that are using that word. And then the last one is my favorite. The fact that we're simply the more talented and athletic team, I just don't see them beating us this year. I mean, you could make the case that they were more talented and athletic last year, and they were at home, and they didn't beat us last year. So why? I, I, I'm not seeing where this optimism is coming from, and I'm not seeing what gives them this insane optimism. I'm really excited about this. It's the sixth. UCLA would be the sixth Power 5 school to come to Nippert since 2007. The last five that did so all left with a loss. The most recent one was Miami in 2015. That was Hayden Moore's first career start. And really the only bright spot of the he who shall not be named era. In 2013, the Bearcats kicked off the season by beating Purdue. 2011, which was Butch Jones' second season, beat NC State. Beat them 44-14. Illinois was a weirdly placed game in 2009 right before that epic pitch showdown but that was a win Tony Pike returned through a school record six touchdowns and then Oregon State in 2007 that's the last time Cincinnati played it's the last time a Pac-12 school came to Nippert Stadium so 5-0 against Power 5 schools since 2007 Um, and yeah UCLA will come in on Thursday a rematch of game one last year Cincinnati won that game 26-17 Cincinnati is a big opportunity to pull off the the double sweep, the sweep of of the home-and-home series in football and in basketball. In 2017, the Bearcats went into Pauley Pavilion, pulled off a big, sort of shocking victory against UCLA. And then last season, wasn't necessarily a shock, but I think the score was, winning by 29 points in what would prove to be one of the final moments of Steve Alford's tenure at UCLA. So the irony there is the Bearcats blowing out UCLA, and then UCLA took the basketball coach, Mick Cronin. And I've had a lot of thoughts on this. It's it's football season, so I don't really want to get too deep into this. But because we're playing UCLA, I feel like it's relevant. I was a strong mix supporter, more so the last few years than ever before. I feel that he did a lot of good stuff. And getting this team to the tournament consistently was really important to me, despite the fact that they never took the next step. I wanted to keep him going into 2020 and beyond. I was disappointed at first that he left. 
I think it's hard to blame him for going to UCLA of all schools. I think obviously it's a blue blood, it's a powerhouse, and I think it's hard to fault the guy for the pay raise that he got and the history at that school. It's hard to question that, but as disappointed as I was at the time, I'm extremely excited about everything that John Brandon has done and the roster that he has built, and I feel that this team has a really strong case to get to a 10th straight NCAA tournament in 2020. I wish Mick the best of luck. Um, I'm not really going to follow him. I'm not really going to follow UCLA or root for them or, or root against them. I don't really care. I, I'm appreciative of everything that Mick did for 13 years and where he got this program, and I'm excited to where the program can get uh, beyond that. And I'll talk much more about Mick on the site and on this podcast in the coming months as basketball season gets closer. Um, but kind of getting back to the football game, UCLA fans are really optimistic. I'm not sure why, but then again, I was really optimistic last year in the opener, and you might question why about that too. I mean, coming off a of back-to-back four-win four seasons, you're going across country at night, against UCLA, a team rolling out Chip Kelly as their head coach. And yet I had this weird, optimistic feeling about that game. So, so Chip Kelly obviously is a legendary coach from Oregon. He was only there four years, but he went 46-7 and seven in those four years. And I think a big part of his success was the fact that he spent two years as their offensive coordinator. So he knew the system, and the players knew him. So he had all the right personnel guys. So when he, took, when he was promoted to head coach, it was a really easy transition because everything, the structure and the culture that he wanted was already in place. For him to inherit Jim Mora Jr.'s players and culture and style, which is vastly different from what Chip Kelly does, is a pretty major transition. So I thought Cincinnati had a chance to sneak up on them and sort of smacked him in the face a little bit during a transition. And they also had a very young team like Cincinnati. And the Bearcats were able to come through. And one of my favorite things about last season was Kelsey Sharkey from the Bearcats Digital Media Department. I believe she's the one responsible. These hype videos that the Go Bearcats football Twitter account always tweeted out before the games. I love these videos. They are unbelievable. And week two... After the UCLA win, before the Miami game, the video was basically a compilation of quotes from quotes and audio clips from the media showing how nobody picked Cincinnati. And my favorite part of that video, I think it's one of the LA radio guys that covers UCLA. He basically said, would you walk up to the window and put your money down? Would you bet on the Bearcats? And that quote kills me every time because the truth is, I didn't walk up to a window, I used an app, I used a FanDuel sports app, and I bet on the Bearcats, who were major underdogs, and I was that confident that I did go up to the window and put my money down, and I did walk away with a lot. And another reason why I was optimistic was the presence of Wilton Spite. I had zero confidence in him. Cincinnati fans saw him in 2017 when we lost to Michigan. They did not lose to Michigan because of Wilton Spite. Michigan kind of won that game, no pun intended, but in spite of him. So I wasn't convinced that he would be a guy that could carry them to a victory. He did end up getting pulled. He got hurt at one point. So Dorian Thompson-Robinson came in, and he'll be the guy that starts. 
for UCLA on Thursday, but the guy that's going to make that offense go is Josh Kelly. Josh Kelly did not was a non-factor in the in the Week One game last season, but he did finish last year with over 1,200 yards and 12 touchdowns. So he'll be a big part of that offense. Cincinnati last year did have the 13th ranked rush defense, so that's something to keep in mind. They did lose the two big defensive tackles in Cortez Broughton and Marquise Copeland, but there's a lot of capable bodies there that can replace them. UCLA's run defense, meanwhile, was ranked 100th in the country. And obviously Cincinnati is a really strong rushing attack. And I think that that's something that they need to lean in on and continue to attack UCLA. All right, I'm excited to be joined by JT Smith of the Front Office News. JT, welcome. You were the first ever guest of the Down the Drive podcast. Welcome and thanks for joining. Thanks, man. First ever guest, man. Oh, you gotta, you gotta save this one, man. <laughs> this is a good one. This is one for the archives for sure. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about the Front Office News and, and what you're up to and and your passion for UC. Oh man, uh, front office news. It started, I want to say, 2010. Um, honestly, started just a guy that just wanted to talk about sports. Went to UC, start talking about you, writing about UC. Wrote for multiple sites um, with Scout. Now it's 247, but um, Bearcat Insider. I wrote with um, Cincy on the Prowl and a couple other sites, but those were the two main sites that I wrote with about UC. But I'll talk a little bit about everything, but um, my passion for UC is prevalent if you guys come check over, check over at the front office news for sure. Yeah, definitely check out the front office news and make sure you follow at underscore JT underscore Smith. And this week on the front office news, you published an article in which you questioned if the 2019 running back with Cincinnati is the best backfield in UC history. It's a bold statement. I don't want you to give away the whole article because I encourage you <laughs> right. to check it out, but give me a little teaser. I mean, why do you think this is the best backfield in UC history? All right. Yeah, man. I know it is definitely a bold statement, but sometimes you got to just go in the well, man. When you see the talent they have in the backfield, you know, you got four three-star running backs. At UC, just in general, normally you have one, two, three stars, and then you have guys that overachieve that maybe are very good players. But at other schools like Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama, they just breed running backs. And I feel like right now, even though the Bearcats are in the AAC, right now they're they, they're breeding running backs that have very much NFL potential. And it's not like um, them being the best backfield, I guess. It's kind of like a very bold statement. But if you look into it, there's a lot of good facts and reasons why you could believe that is very true. Yeah, I don't necessarily think it's untrue. So, I mean, Michael Warren was the fourth, was fourth in the nation in touchdowns at 19. People forget about Jared Dokes. He led the team in rushing in 2017. And then Tavion Thomas and Charles McClellan combined for 10 touchdowns. So there's a, you're right. I mean, there's a ton of talent in this backfield. Yeah. And it's like, it's only one ball, but when you're a smash mouth team with a dual threat quarterback, it, I mean, it fits. It fits, you know, like, like, you know, Dokes, everybody forgets about Dokes. Before he, him, get, before he got hurt and he was out for the season, to be the starter, of course, Mike Warren was going to get a lot of the load, but it would, I wouldn't have been shocked if they both would have ran for 1,000 yards last year or 900. You know, 
executed the way Jim Brock runs the offense. I mean, what what would you think would have happened last year if they both would have been healthy? I'm not sure. I think Warren was really able to emerge because he was the true workhorse. And I think, I mean, part of my concern with this backfield is that you need to get your touches. And I think Warren is a guy who needs a few carries here and there to kind of get warmed up. And I'm hoping that he can take lesser, a lesser role slightly to make way for some of these other backs and to keep him fresher. I know he kind of ran out of gas a little bit at the end. So hopefully the presence of Dokes and the emergence of McClellan and Thomas allows Warren to do more with less. Yeah, I, 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 I second, I definitely second that opinion. I feel like he'll be fresher at the end of the year, and he's a guy that, as the game goes, he wears on you. So if you can throw a couple of quality running backs, which the Bearcats don't have a shortage of that right now, then in the fourth quarter, you got to tackle Mike Warren and tackle Tavion Thomas and Gary Dokes a few times. It's not going to be fun. Exactly. And even looking at last year's game against UCLA, Warren had 35 carries. I mean, it was the first game, and it was his first real action, so he was fresh. But now imagine Michael Warren's 25th carry late in the fourth quarter instead of his 35th, how much fresher he could be with all these guys. Exactly, exactly. And that's what's going to happen. I think that's going to happen this year. I think that's like what you said, like you'll have 20 to 25 carries, a couple catches out the backfield, but then those other guys are getting that extra five to ten taking that pressure off of him and I think it's just going to open it up for him and I think the team in general. Yeah, it's definitely, I like what you said before, it's definitely a run-oriented offense. It, it'll make life a lot easier, more comfortable for Desmond Ritter. I'm curious what happens, though, with the passing game, if Ritter can kind of elevate his game a little bit. There's not a whole lot for the wide receivers in terms of returning production or experience. Is there any one or two guys that you expect to really emerge and step up as that wide receiver one? Yeah, there, there are a few in the cards, but I feel like Rashad Madaris in the slot is going to be tough, especially with that running game. Pass, play action pass with his speed and quickness. If he can stay healthy, he's going to make a lot of plays. He started, he kind of emerged after the Ohio, Ohio game after he had that big play before halftime. Um, they have a few other guys. I want to see what Blue Smith does, you know, once he gets more more playing time, you know, kind of gets, you know, gets his whistle wet, per se. Um, but the person I keep hearing about a lot, like, just far as, you know, fall ball was Alex Alex Pierce. I hope I got his name right. Um, but I feel like he had a very strong camp, and I feel like he's going to be in play for the other side on, on the other side um, of the receiver side. Um, so I believe, I believe he's going to be one of the three receivers that starts. So. I want to see how that goes, but I think the guy that I'm really looking at is Rashad McDerris because he has the experience and he's shown he can um, make the big play. So I think this year without like he's going to be that guy this year. Yeah, I like McDerris. I think he'll just be a safe, reliable option, especially in the slot. You mentioned Blue Smith. I know you were tweeting up a storm and wrote about him. I mean, he's a really, really highly recruited player and a really talented guy. I think he's a little banged up right now, but hopefully he plays soon. Uh, yeah, Al Pierce is the guy that people keep raving about. He wasn't completely on my radar before camp started, so I'm excited to see what he does and what Trent Cloud does also. 
The guy that I'm most yeah, concerned yeah. about, though, is Deshaun Jackson. I feel like he flashed a lot of potential last year and showed some big plays. He made a lot of freshman mistakes, but I want to see him in year two with Ritter also. That's fair, man. Deshaun, he's kind of like the forgotten guy. He did make a lot of plays as a freshman, so I definitely I second you on that. Even though I feel like no, I haven't heard the guy, a lot about him in camp. No, nah, but I feel like he's kind of the guy that they expect just to kind of flourish. They say like him and Darius are the slot guys for sure. That what I keep hearing. So I think I think it's almost like a short thing, and everybody's talking about the other guys per se. I think if I'm getting my if my ear to the street is um, accurate or not. What are you most excited for on this team? Obviously, the running backs. I happen to think that the linebackers are outstanding. I think the whole defense as a whole is great. I mean, what has you most excited, other than the running backs, about this team? Man, honestly, um, the defensive line, they have the question at back for sure because they lost two um, pro NFL players. You know, right now, those guys are two, you know, the Chargers and Rams, they're on the active roster right now. But their defensive ends, man, they have a plethora of defensive ends that can get after the quarterback, and they're just going to get a shot to, you know, to do it this year. And, you know, Kimani fits, and he was a very solid senior, but I feel like they're just going to just reload. They have about three to four guys that can really get after the quarterback, and I think they're going to be kind of the, un, you know, the unsung heroes, per se. It's like people that, like, follow the team, know that they're good, but uh, – the mass media, the national media, don't really know about them. I think they're going to shock a lot of people. Yeah, I, the defensive line is exciting. I mean, there's definitely a lot of good young players there. I think the linebackers are awesome with Perry Young and Brian Wright, Jarrell White, and then they got that transfer, Darren Beavers, who people are pretty high on. I think it's overall really strong defense. Yeah, yes, definitely. So what are you yeah. thinking for this season? We, it's a much tougher – they went 11-2 last year. Definitely a much tougher schedule, especially in the non-conference. And then the crossover divisional games are tough, both on the road. What is your overall projected record for the Bearcats? Um, just not looking at the record, right? I mean, not looking at the schedule right now. I would go anywhere between 8-4 and four, 9 and 3. Sounds fair. But they could go – I mean, I wouldn't be shocked that they can win more, but I would say just being fair because a lot of their big games on the road. I mean, I think they're going to beat UCF at home. I think they're going to dominate them personally. I hope I'm right. I just think everything points to that happening. I think it's going to be the turn of the tide. It's just that can they beat Houston on the road? Can they beat Memphis on the road? And I feel like they have another tough game on the road that's not Ohio State. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on who it is right South now. Florida I know they have, have in conference. South Florida, that's it, South Florida. So that those are three tough games that they have on the road. I just hope um, that their their confidence is so high that it doesn't matter. Because, you know, last year, even their tough games on the road, they were in the game. So I just feel like those teams are very quality teams, even though UC is a very talented bunch. You can't take Houston at home lightly. You can't take UCF at home lightly. You definitely can't take Memphis at home lightly. So those are, those are going to be three games that they can go – they can shock the world and go two or three in that game, and I don't see how they aren't playing for the AAC championship in December. I agree. I think the key is that Houston-Memphis on the road, you got to go one and one, and obviously you have to beat UCF, which I agree with. I think 
I love the yeah. fact that it's at home. I think we've lost Cincinnati's lost the last three, all blowouts. I think this is finally the closest Cincinnati is to UCF in terms of overall talent level. And I don't yeah. like Brandon Wimbush. I don't think he's that good. I think Mackenzie <laughs> Milton is really special. And if he was still the quarterback, I would have serious doubts that Cincinnati could win this game. But because Wimbush is the quarterback, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I'm the same with you on that. Because, I mean, Mackenzie Milton was a lot more of a pinpoint passer. And he was a very athletic passer, a dual threat. But Wimbush at Notre Dame, I mean, he is a big play maker, but he's not very accurate. So unless something changed in the last few years, I felt like UC should be able to make him a runner and just be able to funnel him out. And with that secondary, I thought he should be able to make plays. Um, even with, if Mac was healthy, I would be a little bit more nervous about that game. But um, I don't think I think UC can be, defense can dominate Wimbush. I hope I'm right about that, and they don't. He doesn't just pull a rabbit out of the hat and play his best game of the year against them. I hope you're right too. I, I mean, obviously, at being at home, there's probably an advantage. Yeah. I do think they lose to Houston. I hate the timing of that game. I feel like I mean, you've watched enough college football to know that you get your biggest, most epic win of the season, and then you're always due for a letdown the next week. That's what worries me is that there's such an emotional high that they just fall flat the next week in Houston. That's possible. I didn't realize that they were the backup game, and I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday. I know the UCF game. A lot of eyes will be on UC, so it's going to be a lot of promotion, a lot of, you know, adrenaline pumping. So, yeah, it's definitely a chance for the Houston to be a letdown, and their team is uh, a monster. So that's um, going to be very interesting, very interesting. Yep. Yes, it will. Any, uh, any final thoughts on the schedule, on the season, on our Bearcats? Man, I, I just think I think it's going to be a good year. I think people can't be mad if they don't win 11 games this year. I feel like their schedule is harder this year. Um, the target's on their back a lot more. And I, they overachieved last year. You, you can't tell the team that, but just as a person on the outside looking in, a lot of people had them going 6-6. Six and six. I know I did last year, and I would have been happy just with a bowl game. But, you know, the target's on their back. So I feel like if they win eight or nine, Games, this is a super, super successful year. If they went double digits, then, I mean, you might as well just get Fickle a statue or something outside, like right now, next to Big O. <laughs> I, I agree 100%. I had them at 6-6. Six and six. I thought six or seven wins would show some significant progress and would get me excited for this year. But now with 11 wins, I feel like the expectations are at, a, at an all-time high. It's just a hard schedule. So get to not eight, nine wins, like you said, I think would be a really successful season. And I know I would be happy with that. Yeah, same, man, same. That would be – I think that would be great. And then it would just keep the momentum going, man. They're getting getting A1 recruits now. Um, I mean, I just – the ball is rolling in the, in the right direction for UC Sports. And I think an eight, nine win season would keep that, keep that rolling, man. Absolutely. There's a lot of momentum, and I think basketball is going to be even more exciting than football. So I'm looking forward to that. But really appreciate Really great talking to you. Appreciate the time. Make sure to follow JT on Twitter at underscore JT underscore Smith. Check out thefrontofficenews.com and all of his content on the Bearcats. JT, thanks a lot for joining. Really appreciate it. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Anytime you want to have me on, man, hit me up. <laughs> Absolutely, I will. Take care.
All right. What's going to help Cincinnati is their offensive line. And these guys, and I'm really excited about this group. I think this is a group that has a chance to really excel and to really help create holes for whoever's running the ball and help protect quarterback Desmond Ritter. It's, it's fun. It's a really unique group because you have two guys return as starters. They were actually named captains this week. One of them, Chris Ferguson, who's from the Bahamas. He never didn't take a snap before last season, was recruited as a defensive lineman, and basically started every game last year. Then you have Morgan James, who's a former professional hockey player. He'll be 29 years old this season, one of the oldest players in college football. He didn't start playing football until he came to UC in 2015. Then you have Jakari Robinson, who is a big part of Luke Fickle's 2017 recruiting class. He's actually the 32nd-ranked center that year, and he started six games due to injury last year, so he has that experience. And then you have a little bit less experience on the right side. You'll have Jeremy Cooper, a redshirt freshman. He's going to start at guard, but he's a guy with a lot of potential, could be a four-year starter and a future NFL player. And then Lawrence Metz, who's been the talk of camp, He's six foot nine, three hundred thirty pound monster from Germany. Uh, another guy who was originally recruited as an athlete who played mostly defense and has worked his way onto the offensive line. One guy Cincinnati won't have this year is James Hudson. There's been a lot of talk about James Hudson, and I think everyone knows the story at this point. He transferred to Cincinnati from Michigan, and recently the NCAA announced that he was denied a waiver for immediate eligibility. Now, forget for a second how many stars Hudson had or whatever his credentials were coming out of high school or whatever happened at Michigan uh, from a football standpoint because the story with James Hudson is not a football story. It's a human story. This is a guy that was dealing with mental health issues at Michigan, and he did not admit those issues. And that's the key with the waiver is he did not disclose his depression or his anxiety to Jim Harbaugh or to anyone on the Michigan coaching staff or administration. And because of that, he's now being forced to sit out this season. Now, look, it's hard to speak on issues like this. I'm certainly not qualified to. But one would think that, and making total assumptions, and maybe I shouldn't, but, you know, one would think that with the world we live in, and the culture of college football, and the culture of social media, that if James Hudson, maybe he was too scared to come forward. Maybe he was afraid of what his teammates would think of him, or what the coaches might think, or what the coaches might do if they found out that he was having some issues. Maybe they just wouldn't care about it. Maybe they wouldn't play him because of it. Maybe they wouldn't help him, and maybe that was why he didn't want to come forward. Again, this is purely speculation, but it's based on the fact that this is the world we live in. It's a very sensitive world, and it's entirely possible that James Hudson was scared off uh, by what might have, by what the repercussions might have been for admitting this. So the issue is that Harbaugh allegedly has not corroborated the story that Hudson was dealing with these issues, and as a result, the NCAA couldn't verify that he was dealing with these issues, and he was not granted the waiver to play immediately. It's a disappointing outcome for the kid. And, you know, again, from a non-football standpoint, I hope he uses this year to get right. And for Harbaugh, I hope he uses this time 
I hope he uses his downtime after the season ends with another loss to Ohio State to think about why these kids are leaving his program and in the future why he might struggle on the recruiting trail because coaches might start slandering his name the way that he's slandering his his kids that are transferring. You know, from a football standpoint, the transfer rules are simply dumb. Waivers are completely granted at random. There is no process. Look, I have no issue with kids wanting to transfer. Tate Martell is the perfect example. He's become sort of the punching bag for the transfer discussion. His story is well known. Top recruit, went to Ohio State, sat for a couple of years. He's played behind Dwayne Haskins last year. And with Haskins leaving early, Ohio State brought in Justin Fields, the top quarterback from 2018, to replace Haskins. So, you know, naturally Martell didn't stand for that. He made a couple of comments publicly, had some controversial tweets. He left. He went to Miami. And for some reason, Martell was granted immediate eligibility. I'm not sure why. There is no reason. There is no real reason for him to play right away. There was no medical issue. There was no controversy with the athletic department. And, again, I'm okay with him making this decision to transfer because he does want to play. He want, Fields is going to be at Ohio State for the next three years as their starting quarterback. There is no room for Martell. So it totally makes sense that he did what's best for him. Good for him. Coaches do it every year, and the coaches get paid more every time that they do what's best for themselves. Um, but my issue is, you know, Martell is immediate, immediately eligible, but why isn't Hudson why isn't Luke Ford? Why isn't Brock Hoffman? Other names that have been in various reports that have various stories about why they should be immediately eligible. And quite frankly, it should be all or nothing. Either everyone should play or no one should. There should be no exceptions. It should be very dry and clear-cut rules. I, I don't know why this is so complicated. That'll wrap it up for this debut episode of the Down the Drive podcast. Thank you all for listening. Huge thanks to JT Smith once again for joining. Make sure you check out downthedrive.com all week for UCLA game coverage. Also, check it out all season. Every week there's going to be some great content on that 2009 12-0 team. This is the 10-year anniversary of it. The school is celebrating, so why shouldn't Down the Drive celebrate also with a ton of different, with a number of different articles bringing back some of those memorable moments, hitting on some of those key players, and you know, just remembering all those fun times. So make sure you follow Down the Drive on Twitter, at Down the Drive. The Instagram account is brand new. Follow on Instagram, at Down the Drive UC. And you can follow me personally on Twitter, at MS Schneid, M-S-S-E-H-N-E-I-D. Looking forward to beating UCLA and talking about it next week. Looking forward to covering the Ohio State game next week as well. Talk to you all again next week. Go Bearcats!